Ephesians chapter number four. And this morning I want to begin a new series and we'll have the introduction this week. Next week we won't be having uh, Sunday school. We're going to be starting with the 11 o'clock service. And then the following week we'll be back to our regular schedule uh, on January 1st on New Year's Day. And so that's what we've got coming up. Um, got the Christmas party after church today. Hope everyone can come out. And we'll, we will uh, have some food and some fellowship and maybe a game or two, maybe some songs. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But anyway, hope you can come out and be a part of it. Uh, but anyway, what we're going to do here, I, uh, I'm wanting to just spend the next few weeks uh, looking at a few things here that I hope is going to be a help to us and uh, maybe a little bit of review. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, uh, just to get us started off in the right direction, we're going to begin reading and read a few different passages here to kind of get a, a feel for the direction we're wanting to go. So Ephesians chapter number four, uh, we're going to start down at verse number 12. I'm just read about four verses here. Uh, let's go ahead and start at verse number 11. It says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they wait, uh, they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up uh, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So let's go ahead. We'll go to the Lord in prayer. Then we'll look at a few more passages and, and see the direction we're going with this. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Just thank you for your blessings. We do thank you for this time that we have to be together here in church. And for those who have came out, Lord, we just pray asking for your blessings on this service. Lord, I ask you, Lord, just to uh, guide and direct me as I teach and help me, Lord, to, to say the things that are needful and helpful and accurate. Lord, be with each person here that they would glean from the service exactly that which they need. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us, Lord, to uh, uh, just to glorify you. Help us, Lord, to uh, truly focus on uh, the reason for the season, Lord, and Lord, that this would be a a time that we uh, draw closer to you, Lord, that we increase in uh, gratitude toward you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be a light and a witness in this place that you've put us in. And Lord, we thank you once again for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, one more passage I want to look at here. Second Peter chapter number 3. And we're going to read the last verse, verse number 18. It says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And so in both of these passages that we've looked at, there has been the thought of growing. If you look in back in Ephesians chapter number 4, in verse number uh, 15, it says, But speaking the truth in love, uh, may grow up into him in all things. In Second Peter there, it says, but grow in grace. And the desire that we should have as Christians uh, in our Christian life is that we would grow from day to day and from year to year. 
Uh, I don't want to remain the same person I was the day that the Lord saved me. I don't want him to find me whenever I uh, pass from this earth or whenever he returns. I don't want him to find me in the same condition I was whenever he saved me. And he has a desire for us that we would grow as believers. And there's a lot of different ideas of what that is and what that looks like and how we go about it. And the fact of the matter is that uh, there are many people who are saved and live their entire lives and experience relatively little growth in their Christian life. And that really is a sad thing because God has great things planned and desired for the life of every believer. And we miss out on so much whenever we don't participate with him in the process of growth that he wants us to engage in in our lives. And so we see here in Ephesians chapter number four, the first passage that we read here, in verse 14, it says that you be henceforth no more children. And it says that as children, they were tossed about with every wind of doctrine. Do you realize that children are very gullible? They'll believe anything. And we have a lot of fun with that whenever the kids are little. And Melody's probably not too long before this is going to happen. And I can see that her big sisters are probably going to do this to her a lot. And if they don't, I probably will because I did it to them. But children are gullible. They'll believe anything. You can tell them things and they will believe it, sometimes for longer than what you think that they should believe it. I mean, even uh, going into Christmas season, uh, we've got plenty of kids thinking that there is a jolly fat man that sees every waking moment of their life that's going to land on their roof and come down their chimney and leave presents behind, right? I don't know. Maybe there's still some adults that believe that. And so anyway, uh, children are gullible. And so he was saying here that for us as believers, for us as Christians, that his desire for them and God's desire for them is that they didn't remain childlike. Yes, we need to be childlike in our faith, but not in our walk. And so he says, I don't want you to continue being children uh, led astray by every wind of doctrine, every rumor that comes along, every conspiracy theory that comes down the pike. I don't want you to follow after this and after that, but instead I want you to grow up. I want you to mature as believers. And that's what the idea of growing up is. And so in verse 15, whenever he says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things. And whenever it says grew up into him, it's talking about growing up into Christ. And so God has a desire for us. If we look in Romans chapter number eight, Romans chapter eight, verse 29. We all know Romans eight twenty-eight, right? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And so we kind of skip over that idea of God having a purpose for us, right? But what is that purpose? In verse number 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So what is God's purpose? It is to uh, conform us to the image of his son, to make us more like Jesus what that means. So everyone who is saved, everyone who has believed, it says that God has predestined. In other words, he has predetermined, he has pre-planned, he's pre-designed for us to become like Christ. Now, we find in another place in scripture that it says that uh, we're confident that he which has begun a good work in us will, uh, will, what's the word, that, what, how does it say it? 
We'll perform it. There you go. That's what I was looking for. We'll perform it until the day of Christ. And so we find that God has uh, started a good work in us, that he is desiring to conform us to the image of Christ. Now the question for us is, we know the day that we got saved, right? We can go back. Salvation happened in a moment in time whenever we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his shed blood alone as the payment for our sins. We can't save ourselves. We can't pay for our own sins, but we put our faith and trust in his death on the cross to forgive our sins and save our soul. Okay, so that is a date in time. There is a future date where we're going to see him face to face, where our faith is going to be made sight, right? And in that moment, it says that we're going to be changed in the moment and in the twinkling of an eye, that we are going to be like him, that we are going to receive uh, a new body, we're going to receive a new nature, the, the flesh and its desires and all of those things are going to pass away, and all things truly will be made new at that point in time. And so we have a beginning point, we have somewhat of an ending point here, it ends in eternity, but what happens in the meantime? And this is what we're talking about, this growth period for us as believers. And let me see here, what direction I want to go with this? Let's go ahead, since we're in Romans chapter 8, and turn forward a couple chapters to Romans chapter 12. We're familiar with verse number one, less familiar with verse number two. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so God has the desire for us to be transformed. And it says transformed by the renewing of our minds. See, here's the, the thing that's going on in our lives. We are in, we are inhabiting a sinful flesh. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Whenever you got saved, your flesh didn't get saved. Right? Whenever you got saved, your flesh didn't get saved. And so you go through this life, and there is a battle that occurs in your mind and in your heart. If you try to live for Christ, there's going to be your flesh trying to pull you away from him, right? And so it says here that he wants to uh, transform you, and he wants to do it by the renewing of your mind. Our minds are broken. Our thoughts are corrupted. We have a oftentimes a wrong way of looking at things. We have wrong desires. We have uh, wrong thought processes and things. And so it says that he wants to transform us by the renewing of our mind. He wants to take all those broken patterns, those broken that broken thinking, those desires that pull us toward sin and toward all the things that would cause destruction and difficulties for us. He wants to transform us. He wants to renew us and to bring us into a more Christ-like uh, way of thinking and a way of doing things, right? So if we were to uh, set a goal for Christian growth, if we see the final, say, okay, I've grown up, I have matured, I have gotten to where God wants me to be, that would be Christ, right? Anyone want to get there on this side of heaven? No, we're not going to be like Jesus until we get to heaven. But here's the thing. On this earth, the more transformed, the more conformed we are to his image on this earth, uh, the better things will be for us, okay? Okay. 
Anyone in agreement with that? If we do things the way that God has intended, if we do things in line with the will of God, will our life be better? Hmm? According to this world standards, no. Okay. So it doesn't mean... You will suffer persecution, but... Mm-hmm. Okay, so... But he's going to help you through it. He, you can suffer persecution, but... With a peace in your heart. Mm-hmm. But there's persecution even if you're not a Christian, right? Yeah. You can be persecuted in this world for many different things. You can be persecuted for your color of skin, for your political party, for uh, the, the group that you hang out with, for your weight, yeah. You can be you can be persecuted by for a lot of things just because of the way that the world is divided and because of the the way that sin goes in our lives. But the difference is whenever we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, Bible says, "Blessed are you, right? Happy are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake." Why is one of the reasons why we're happy when we're going through persecution? Well, we're on the right track. Not only that, but we also have a Christ going with it or with us through it, right? And so he will help us. He will be with us as we go through it. But not only that, the world looks at it and says, okay, success is defined as what? Wealth is position, status. Yeah, health, wealth, and prosperity, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what the world will try to measure success by. But whenever we look at the Bible and what it determines success to be by, whenever God looks at us and determines what is growth and what is success, what does he measure it by? I don't know. Your walk with him, yes. Mm -hmm. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, right? Okay, what else? Not only material. Right. So that it would be in our life, resources. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Humility. Mm -hmm. Humility. Mm -hmm. Obedience. Mm -hmm. Okay. If I were to sum it up in one word. Mm -hmm. Nice. If I were to sum it up in one word, it would be holiness. Right? Holiness. If we were to sum it up in one word, success, growth, <coughs> is going to be holiness. He says, be holy, for I am holy. Right? And so that is God's desire for us. I heard a preacher say a while back that God didn't die to, or Christ didn't die to make us happy. He died to make us holy. Okay? And holiness will produce joy in the life of the Christian. Because it is that uh, quality of being like Christ, right? And so anyway, as we're looking at this, we have a desire to grow in Christ. Whenever you first got saved, if you think back to the day that you were saved, you had a desire to get to know him, to live in a way that was pleasing to him, right? And then as you live your life, you may make progress in that, or you may not. You may get discouraged with it. You may have forgotten about it by now, right? People are in different places on this. And so that's why I want to look at this because a lot of people have different ideas about what it means to grow, okay? There's a lot of bad teaching out there on Christian growth. 
a lot of bad ideas about how to go about it and what it looks like. For instance, there are a lot of people who think that it is achieved by uh, following a rigid set of rules and regulations, and it's almost like aestheticism. Uh, you look at monks, for instance, where they withdrew from society and they would be in these monasteries and they would uh, take vows of silence and chastity and they would spend their time in writing out prayers and scriptures and all these things. And they thought that was uh, pleasing to God. They thought that was holiness, right? Back, back in, in, in those days, mm -hmm. in Nigeria, when um, the teachings are ordinary, they practice the undressing. Okay. Undressing of Outward appearances. Yes. yes. Because when you come to church now, in Anglican, you have to mm -hmm. cover your head. Mm -hmm. In some, uh, you know, Pentecostal, you're not allowed mm -hmm. to wear trousers and all sorts. Mm -hmm. So that is what they practice only in education. So, right. So, outward appearances. They say, if I look the part and can fool everybody else, I'm doing well. Mm -hmm. Right? But God isn't as concerned with outward appearances as he is with the heart, right? We see that in the story of David that uh, God doesn't look on the out man, outer man, but he looks on the heart. And so, Whenever we see that, we find that this change and this growth that happens in the life of a Christian is an inside-out growth. That the way that the Lord starts working in our heart and in our mind, renewing us, re, uh, remaking us, reshaping the faulty thinking and the faulty desires that we have, and it will work its way to the outside. Because anyone can act, anyone can put on a mask. There can be the most vile of sinners the most wicked of people in their heart, and they can be some of the most religious and most pious. Jesus faced that a lot in his day. Whenever you look at the scribes and the Pharisees, they were wicked. He called them a generation of vipers and whited sepulchers and these kind of things. He says, on the outside you look good, but inside you're full of dead men's bones, right? And so those were the ones that the people saw as being the most spiritual, as being the best, right? And they were total fakes and frauds. And God doesn't desire for us to be fakes and phonies and frauds. He doesn't want us to put on these outward actions and these outward acts. Instead, he wants us to be renewed and transformed from the inside out. And so that is our desire. We know as Christians that there is a struggle that goes on with us. We get frustrated, or I can speak for myself at least, I get frustrated whenever I keep facing some of the same old battles and some of the same old things. I can uh, concur with Apostle Paul whenever he wrote in Romans chapter 7, the good that I would, I do not, and the that that I would not, that I do, oh wretched man, that I, anyone relate to that? Okay. Unfortunately, that's part of the growth process. There is to be a struggle that's going on, and if there's not a struggle going on, then you're probably stagnant, Right? Because any time that you are trying to grow, any time that you are trying to make progress, there is going to be uh, there's going to be resistance. Uh, if someone is uh, exercising and trying to build muscle, they've got to lift weights. They've got to work out, right? Isn't that the way it goes? If you're going to go somewhere, it's going to take effort to get there. And so uh, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself on this. But as we've seen in all these passages, 
they indicate that between the time that we are saved and the time that we get to heaven, that there is to be a process that we engage in that is going to tra transform us, it's going to shape us, and to make us more like Christ. And so today what I'm wanting to look at is why we need to grow, what if we don't grow, why we don't grow, and what we need to do to grow. So there's my, my kind of outline ahead of time here. And I hope this will set the foundation for uh, our future studies here as we look into some of these things. But whenever we think about what is Christian growth, we've already kind of covered this a little bit, but it is being uh, changed from the inside out to be more like Christ, right? And so how do you measure Christian growth? What do you think? Don't be afraid of giving the wrong answer. Okay, let me rephrase it. How do people measure Christian growth? Hmm? How do you measure? How do people measure Christian growth? Instead of saying how do you do it, I'll unload it a little bit. Okay, so what we're talking about with outward appearance, people measure it by that. So, how we behave, our actions, our attitudes, right? How you relate to people. Okay. Yeah, how you relate to them, how do you treat them? Uh, I believe it was John that said uh, how they loved one another was how men was going to know that they were his disciples, right? Mm -hmm. By their love it would show. Okay. And so part of those that were mentioned were outer measurements, and some of those were things that originated in the heart, right? And so some of them are a faulty measurement. Some of them are a more accurate measurement. So how we love, how we treat people. Uh, we can make it simply this. We find in Galatians chapter number five, we find two different lists. Okay, if you're familiar with Galatians chapter five, we have the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, right? And I believe that is a pretty accurate test for our uh, spiritual maturity. Whenever it says that the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, meekness, gentleness, kindness, uh, long-suffering, and a few other ones I always forget, right? And so those things are the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, just as a, just a simple question here, uh, what kind of trees produce fruit besides fruit trees? What kind of trees produce fruit? They have to be healthy. Okay. Living trees. Okay, healthy trees, living trees. Okay. Okay, that's part of the, the, the healthiness of it. One of the biggest things that are required for a tree to produce fruit, okay, age, maturity. Maturity, right? Does a sapling produce fruit? No, it has to. Uh, it has to mature before it produces fruit. Now, some of the other things, such as the health or the conditions of the soil, are going to determine how much fruit and the quality of fruit. No. Okay. And so, all of these things go into producing fruit. So, a mature tree produces fruit. And when we talk about 
growth, spiritual maturity, part of spiritual maturity is producing fruit, okay? Can you make fruit happen? Can you, by your own sheer will and your own desire, produce the fruits of the Spirit? You can try and you're going to fail. You're going to be grieved. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to feel guilt and shame and all kinds of things, right? Whenever you try to do it yourself. You can make a New Year's resolution. You can say, I'm going to try to be more meek. I'm going to try to be more patient and more good. I'm going to try to increase in love and faithfulness. Well, good luck with that. It's not going to happen, right? But it does say that it's the fruit of the Spirit. And so the Spirit produces that in our lives. It cultivates that in our lives. And it is the result of this walk with God that the fruit happens, right? And so how we measure it? By its fruit, right? Another place it says, by their fruit, you will know them. Okay? And so a unhealthy Christian, an immature Christian, is going to be manifesting the works of the flesh, right? And I'm not going to go into that and, and read through all of those, but it is a way for us to kind of evaluate and say, okay, where are we at uh, in this walk with Christ? Are we making uh, are we making progress on this? And I've said this in the past: God doesn't require perfection. He knows better. He knows we're never going to be perfect, but we should be making progress. Okay, not perfection, but progress. And so we looked at how you measured it, and then we're going to be looking at how you accomplish it. That, that is the, the difficult part. And this is somewhat what we've already looked at. A lot of people are going to say that the way we accomplish growth is going to be through uh, all of these different actions and rule-keeping, and uh, they'll have a whole litany of things that you must do in order to grow or at least appear to grow. And a lot of times it's going to focus on outward appearances. But we've already talked about that growth begins in the heart. And so if we are truly going to grow, it's going to take something that affects our heart and our mind, that it works with God and with his Holy Spirit in renewing and reworking our heart and our mind, right? And so those are the things that we're wanting to look at over the coming weeks. What is it that God uses in our lives to rewire us? to bind up that which is broken, to heal those things which are messed up in us, to cause us to become a new creature, okay? And so uh, the first thing I said we're going to look at is why do we need to grow? Uh, in a way, I guess we've touched on this a little bit, but the main reason why we need to grow is because even though we get saved, our eternity is taken care of, our sins are forgiven, uh, whenever we die, we're going to heaven, but God didn't save us just to send us to heaven. Okay, that wasn't his entire purpose. Now, that's a lot of times what we focus on, but I've said in the past that salvation is threefold. It's three parts. He wants to save us from the penalty of sin. He wants to save us from the power of sin. And one day when we pass off this earth, he's going to save us from the presence of sin, right? And so at the moment of salvation, I was saved from the penalty of sin. And I was guaranteed that one day I would be delivered from the presence of sin. 
But right now, here and now in this earth, in this life, God wants to deliver me from the power of sin. He doesn't want us to be enslaved and in bondage to this flesh and to this world and to every, uh, every temptation of Satan, but instead wants us to live in victory, wants us to experience what I read there a little bit ago, his good and his acceptable and his perfect will. That's what God desires for us. But we realize that as long as we live in this flesh and in this world and we have Satan working in our hearts and our minds and the accuser of the brother hard at work, there is some things that are broken about us. There are some things that we are going to struggle with that he wants to deliver us from. Okay, And so that's what we're talking about now with Christian growth. We don't want to face the same temptations and the same battles and struggle with the same sins and heartaches whenever we're 50 or 60 or 70 that we were whenever we were 20 and 30, right? We want to see progress. We want to see growth in our Christian life. We want to see some victories happening. And so anyway, um, so he didn't just die so we go to heaven. He also wants to repair our broken desires, our thought processes, our actions. Uh, sin doesn't just keep us from heaven, but it also... Uh, works out bad consequences in this life. Do you believe God? Do you believe his word whenever he says that sin is bad? Or have you fell for Satan's thinking and for his way of looking at things whenever Satan came to Eve in the garden and says, oh, that fruit isn't really bad. God's just trying to keep you away from something good. Isn't that what he said? Isn't that what the world says? God just don't want you to have fun. All of these things that uh, God has said is sin are actually good. Isn't that what the world says? That's the broken thinking of this world. But here's the thing. God knows that all of the things that he has said is sin, the things that he said are harmful and are wrong, all the things that go against him and his word, he has determined them that way because they are detrimental to us. They are harmful to us. Right? God doesn't just enjoy going about and putting things off limits or saying this is sinful or this is wrong, but instead he is instructing us because he knows how we were made, how this world works, what is going to be good for us, and what is going to be harmful for us. Whenever he says to uh, not commit fornication and adultery, why did he say that? Because those things are destructive and harmful and have consequences, right? And not just those, but many other things that we find in the scripture that the, the Lord tells us to abstain from, that he is going to lead us away from. These things are harmful to us, to our minds, to our relationships, to our health, to our mental health, to our uh, spiritual health. All of these things, sin has consequences. And so we look at the world as they are partaking of their sin, as they are enjoying all of the sins of this world. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. But we also see that they are going to end up suffering consequences of the sin. Uh, how many people are living with uh, tons and tons of baggage that are the results of the choices and the decisions that they have made contrary to God's will and contrary to God's word? Is everybody still with me? And so what I'm saying here is we need to grow because by default, 
our heart, our minds, our flesh desires things that is harmful to us. Okay? Just to give a very good example of this, okay? Melody is not very mature right now. Okay? She's just now walking. She's just now learning to feed herself. And I've came to the conclusion that the majority of mine and my wife's responsibility with Melody is keeping her from self-destruction. Okay? You say, oh, it's taking care of her and cuddling her and doing all the... No, she is bent on destruction. I caught her this week trying to take the plug from a set of headphones and stick it in the electrical outlet. Okay? Where do they get this stuff at? And so everything that she shouldn't have is exactly that which she wants, right? And anyone who's raised children know that's exactly true. But the Bible says that as newborn uh, or newly born again Christians, we are babes in Christ. And like Melody, we are also set on destruction. And so we need to grow up. And God in his word is telling us, he's instructing us, he is in teaching us then and his Holy Spirit is guiding us so that we aren't constantly going into things that is going to cause us pain and going to cause us problems and going to separate us from him and going to prevent us from enjoying a walk and a relationship with God. Right? And so this is why we need to grow because by default, we are set on destruction. By default, the things that we are going to be seeking and desiring, the way that we are going to be living, if left to ourselves, is going to be harmful to us. And so where we're trying to set things right here and get a right perspective, the world and much of religion thinks that all of this is about God trying to impose control over us, that we are trying to... Uh, do all of these things to appease God, that somehow God is unhappy with us. And so we've got to change our actions and our attitudes and the things that we are doing to try to make God not unhappy with us. Or that we have to try to repay somehow for what he has done for us, or we're trying to work for his acceptance, or we're trying to work to keep him from... Uh, lashing out and punishing us are all these things that we are familiar with these are faulty thinking this is a wrong way of looking at it as if we are in an adversarial relationship with god and we are trying to uh, recreate ourselves or we're trying to make changes in ourselves or we are trying to uh, keep to a certain uh, list of do's and don'ts somehow so that we either gain god's favor or don't fall under his disfavor, or there are those, much of religion, or most of religion, that teaches that all of the things that we are doing is trying to earn us a place in heaven. We've already gotten past that, right? We know that salvation is not by our works. Salvation is not according to the things that we have done. It is by his grace that he has saved us. He has done the works to get us into heaven. And so all these things that we're talking about today are not in order to earn our place in heaven. It, the Bible also tells us that we are accepted in the beloved. Okay, so we're not doing it to uh, gain his acceptance. The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world. So he doesn't love us because of what we do. We're not trying to earn his love because he even loves 
the lost man. Is everybody still with me? Okay, so we're unraveling some of this wrong thinking about why we need to grow. It has nothing to do with trying to appease God, trying to get into heaven, or try to earn his favor, or try to earn his love, or try to keep away from his displeasure. But here's the thing, the God that loves us, the God that created us, the God that saves us, desires better for us. He knows that the things that we are doing in our natural, our default position, are going to be hurtful and harmful to us, and he desires for us to enjoy his will, to enjoy his way, to enjoy the goodness and the blessings and the benefits of walking according to his word. We fell into faulty thinking that somehow God is the adversary. Somehow he's trying to keep us from the fun. That was the original lie that Satan told to Eve, right? And God is saying, you're bent on destruction. You're like Melody trying to stick that headphone thing into the electric plug. And he says, I don't want you to experience the shocking and the jarring. I don't want you to experience all those consequences. I want you to have life and have it more abundantly. Now, some of the charismatics and the health, wealth, and prosperity guys have hijacked that passage where he says that I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly and said that the abundant life is material success and wealth. No, he's saying, I want you to have a life that has the peace of God, that experiences the will of God, and has a relationship with God to where you can experience his fullness, to where you can escape all of the consequences and all of the guilt and the sin and the shame that is heaped upon you by walking in this flesh. I want you to have a, an abundant life. I want you to have a good life. And that's not going to happen as long as you are still as babes as long as you aren't maturing, as long as you are still controlled by this world and by the flesh and by the devil, it's not going to happen. And so he wants to renew our minds. He wants to transform our thinking so that we don't keep falling in the same traps of sin, so we don't pile up all the heartaches and the baggage and the consequences of wrong decisions, and so that we don't keep going the same direction that we've been going in. He wants to see us grow. He wants to draw near to us. And sin separates us from him. He says, draw nigh unto me and I'll draw nigh unto you, right? How do we do that? This is part of this growth. Because Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship. And God is trying to put away those things that come between us and cause us hurt because he loves us and he wants us to be with him. He says, abide in, uh, abide in Christ and he abides in us. That is that constant closeness, that togetherness. That's what he is desiring for us, and that's what we should be desiring uh, for ourselves as well. If we saw the life that Christ wants for us, that is exactly what we would want for ourselves. But for some reason, we fear it, we stray away from it, and we keep defaulting back to the same problems. And so he needs to grow us past that. And so as I went through all this, we found out that growth is a decision. Okay, growth is a decision. Uh, we can look at a lot of things in life. Uh, a baby has no choice but to grow, right? A baby can't just say, nah, I think I want to stay this size forever and stubbornly remain at that height, at that space and development. 
they're going to grow whether they like it or not physically. But have you ever heard the thing, you have to, uh, you have to get older, but you don't have to grow up? Have you ever heard that? And the idea behind that is you're going to age, but you don't have to mature. You can remain childlike. You can uh, be immature. You can be irresponsible. You can be uh, goofy and troublemaking. And that, that's the idea behind that, right? And so that is the case. A baby can't determine just to stay at that stage. But at the same time, have you ever been around someone who, although they have gotten older, they haven't matured mentally and emotionally? That is a choice, isn't it? And so this is what we're looking at, spiritually speaking. Uh, a person can be saved and live their entire life. They can go to church. They can go through all the motions and be a Christian for 50 years and still not grow up in Christ, right? Because growing up is optional. Maturing in Christ is optional. And so this is something that we're wanting to look at. This should be something that we desire to do. And so you must, uh, must desire to grow and you must cooperate with Christ. Uh, a person can't be saved unless they make a choice, unless they decide to put their faith and trust in Christ. And so salvation happens in an instant, but growth is a lifelong process, but still it is a choice that we make to participate with Christ, to engage with him and allow him to do a work in us. All through the New Testament, we find Paul and others encouraging believers to make progress, to move forward in their life, to grow in Christ. We find in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, as he's writing to the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church is a carnal church. He's dealing with all kinds of problems that they are facing because they haven't grown up, they haven't matured. Okay, They're still facing all the same battles and everything. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And so we find this happening several places throughout Scripture where Christians have been saved. They have been saved for a while. There was growth that was expected and it should have happened, but they chose not to. They didn't engage in the process. And so uh, we need to grow because salvation is only the beginning, because our default is a bad place for us to stay, and because the blessings and benefits of growth are great. Okay, So those are reasons for us to grow. But what happens if we don't grow? Do we lose our salvation? No. It's not dependent on our works, is it? But if we don't grow, a few of the bad um, consequences of it is that we are going to keep repeating the same mistakes. We are going to continue uh, living in sins and things that are going to cause us problems, that are going to bring about consequences in our lives, that are going to bring about heartaches and things that God would have, God would deliver us from, but we don't allow him. 
we are going to miss out on that good and that acceptable and that perfect will of God that he has for us. He has a path that he'd have us to travel. He has a life that he would have us to live. But as long as we are refusing to grow, as long as we are refusing to engage with him, to cooperate with him, we are not going to experience that, right? There are blessings that he wants to bestow upon us. There are things that he wants to do in our lives. There are things that he would cooperate with us and bring about in our lives, but those don't happen. We're going to continue uh, in those uh, works of the flesh. We're not going to produce those fruits of the Spirit whenever we refuse to grow. We're not going to make any progress in this Christian life. And so uh, just kind of bringing, uh, bringing us past that quickly here, uh, what are the reasons why people don't grow as Christians? I mean, to be delivered of sin's consequences and have all the broken thinking and the broken desires fixed, experience the benefits and the blessings of being in God's will, those are all tremendous reasons for us to grow as Christians, right? We want to be in his will. We want to be experiencing his blessings. We want to have our faulty thinking and our sinful desires taken care of. We want those things to happen. So why do people, why do Christians not grow? Why is it that they can... Uh, be in church or be saved for years and years and not make any progress spiritually. Okay, not in God's word. Okay. Okay, so it's kind of the ignorance is bliss things, right? Okay, not wanting to change. So two of you have talked about the Word of God. This is something that God has given us to cause us to grow and for us to be healthy. And it's one of the things that we're going to look at in the coming weeks is how God uses His Word to bring growth in our lives. That's one of the things we're going to look at. So that was a good observation there. Um, let's see here. What are other reasons why people don't grow as Christians? No reason. This Word said, God has given us something that life. Godliness. So mm -hmm. we have no reason whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So for you as a child of God who have confessed Christ as mm -hmm. your personal savior mm -hmm. and you been static, mm -hmm. the choice is yours. Mm -hmm. It's optional. Mm -hmm. You are just on your own. Because mm -hmm. God has well for everything that pertains to life and godliness. Mm -hmm. There's no excuse. Yeah. There's no excuse. Environment. Mm -hmm. environment. Okay, so there's there's not a good excuse why we don't grow, but there are reasons why. You know, we're not going to be able to stand before God and say, "Well, I wasn't capable. You didn't give me what I needed." He gave, like you said, He's given us all things that pertain to faith and godliness. But there are reasons why people don't grow. And you said, what was it? I said, environment. Environment. Yeah, you can be surrounded by. Uh, bad influences that are going to cause you to resist the things of God, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, the Bible says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Why is that? It's going to take you away from God, right? It's going to stunt your growth, if you will. Pride. Yeah. What? It's pride. pride. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I think that, uh, like I said, you that be that lack of proper discipleship. Very good. We've met people 
to snub growth. Mm -hmm. When Christ was to teach in mm -hmm. Matthew chapter 5, mm -hmm. he had to separate himself and disciples onto a mountain. Mm -hmm. And he taught them, saying, mm -hmm. one step after the other, a step after the other. Mm -hmm. That's a teaching. Yeah. He knew that, you know, whatever influence could distract them. Mm -hmm. So it took them from that environment and took them to a mountain, mm -hmm. secluded them, mm -hmm. and he was teaching them mm -hmm. the kingdom lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So if people say that they have accepted Christ, it's just a part. Discipling them is very, very important. And that's exactly what Christ was neck deep in mm -hmm. doing. Discipling is disciple. Mm -hmm. They remain the chief disciple. Mm -hmm. That is true. And he has committed the work of discipling unto men of God mm -hmm. who are teachers, mm -hmm. who are evangelists, mm -hmm. who are pastors mm -hmm. for the actualization of the kingdom lifestyle in mm -hmm. the hearts of men. Mm -hmm. That is true. Yeah. So discipleship is the core word that okay. we should be looking at. Okay. Yes. So, so as far as reasons people don't grow here, uh, with this idea of discipleship, it's going to be ignorance, right? They haven't been taught. They haven't learned. They don't know what it actually means to grow or how to go about it. And that's going to be one of the main things that we're going to be looking at. Uh, Kev said pride. Pride is either I can do it myself, and so that comes back to the ignorance that he was talking about, thinking that I have to do it myself, or pride can also say I don't need to change anything. I'm happy the way things are not realizing that the things that we are doing are causing us harm and pain and are going against the God who saved us, right? And so these things come back to, uh, to ignorance. And so in this idea of ignorance and why we don't grow is people have the wrong perspective about what growth is, how to achieve it. Uh, um, what the goal is. One thing that we end up falling into is thinking that it should happen quicker than what it does. You can't force growth, can you? You can't force growth. It takes time. Just like a tree or a child or anything else, growth is a process. And for us as Christians, it is a lifetime process. And so that's something that God is working in us, and we are cooperating with him, and uh, he is causing these things to happen. Okay? He's bringing about that growth. So we'll so see that happening. Right? Mm -hmm. um, there's also pastors that are going around this world mm -hmm. constantly, like, let's say, living above what everyone else is living at. You know mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, traveling the world, doing whatever they want to do, um, and then at the same time preaching in the pulpits to, our, to the congregation. Mm -hmm. People see that as, as like hypocrisy, basically, mm -hmm. you know. And yeah, just don't bring yeah. it out. Yeah, so in a way, that go back to what uh, Miss Victoria was saying, as far as uh, influences and the, the people who are around us mm -hmm. can hinder us and keep us from growing. And one of those things would be that our eyes are on other people rather than on Christ. Mm -hmm. That is a huge hindrance for us with growth. Because if I'm starting to look at everyone around me and starting to compare, it says that whenever we compare ourselves among ourselves, we're unwise. And so if I start comparing where I am in Christ with where 
uh, Jacques or Victor or Kev or uh, one of your ladies or whatever, uh, if I start comparing my life with yours and start making either my life the standard or your life the standard, then I'm in a mess with that, right? And so the goal is Christ. Our attention, our focus is to be on him. Our relationship is with him, right? All these other things that he has given us are tools by which we can be improved, that we can draw closer to him, that we can be encouraged, or they can be stumbling blocks that Satan brings before us to discourage us, right? And so there's all these reasons why we don't grow. And as I said, I think ignorance is one of the biggest ones. And as I said, we confuse how Christianity works. Religion tells us it's our our responsible, responsibility to be good, to cleanse ourselves, to adhere to a certain uh, standard of actions, to rules and regulations and all these different things, and that somehow that is growth, or that that's how we go about being saved, and neither of those are so. It doesn't work that way. As I said, salvation is a free gift. It brings us into a relationship with God where he is able to work in our lives to transform us, to deliver us from the sinful and the fleshly and the wrong ways of thinking and to conform us into his image, to bring us in line with his will that we can experience, as I said, his good, his acceptable, his perfect will. And so it is a relationship with him. Uh, it's not, as I said, repaying Christ for salvation. It's not ex earning acceptance. It's not proving ourselves to be worthy. And if any of these are our plan or our motivation for growth, we're going to be unsuccessful. We're going to be disappointed. But instead, the reason why we grow is because we want to walk with him. We want to be more like him. We want to be delivered from the sin and the consequences that beset us and cause us problems and bring about baggage in our lives. And so it is a life-giving thing. It's not oppressive. It is something that brings joy and brings peace and delivers us from, as I said, sin and its consequences. And so rather than it being, okay, here, I'm going to offload a bunch of things onto you. Congratulations, you got saved. Now do all this. No, that's not the way it goes. It's congratulations, you got saved. You are accepted in the beloved. Your <coughs> sins are forgiven. Heaven is secured. Now you're in a relationship with God and he wants you to walk with him. Uh, the One of the greatest verses that have stuck with me a long time that illustrates this and emphasizes this is as Jesus was walking along the seas of Galilee, he looked upon Peter and James and John, and what was his words? What did he say to them? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Okay? And so if we bring Christian growth down to its simplest nuts and bolts form, if we bring it down to something that is so simple anyone should be able to understand it, discipleship, growth, the Christian life is following Jesus and letting him transform us. Right? And so Jesus says, if you'll follow me, I will change your life. If you follow me, I'm going to make something new out of you. If you follow me, 
I'm going to engage with you in something that you can't do yourself. And I'm going to make something out of you you could never make of yourself. And you're going to end up somewhere that you could never get on your own. Right? And all of that emphasizes that you are with Christ the whole time. Not trying to please him, not trying to win him over, not trying to uh, do something to make yourself deserving of his love or his affection or his attention. But instead, I'm following him and allowing him to do a work in me. The question that comes in our lives, though, how do we follow him? That's what this study is going to be. Okay? And so, very last thing here, and I'll, I'll finish. What do we need to do to grow? Our growth is contingent upon a choice that we make. To grow, first and foremost, we have to be saved. Right? Child can't grow until they're born. Right? Or at least till they're conceived, I'll put it that way. And so, we need to be saved. To know, uh, uh, the second thing we need to, to know that our salvation as well as God's love and his acceptance of us is not dependent upon our works or on our performance. Okay? There is nothing that you can do that will make God love you less, and there is nothing that you can do that's going to make God reject you if you are his child. Okay? Uh, we need to, by faith, accept that God's way is good and best. And the reason why I say that is the devil brings into our minds, just like he did Eve's, makes us question whether God's way is good or not. Sin comes at us and there is pleasure in sin for a season. And so we seek after those pleasures, not realizing that beneath the worm is a hook. Right? We need to realize that growth requires cooperation with God. Can't do it by ourselves. And we need to realize that it's a lifelong process. And lastly, we need to be, or we need to desire to be transformed and to experience the will of God. Jesus says that he did all things according to the will of his Father. And that's a good place for us to be. He knows what we need better than what we do. He knows what's good for us better than what we do. And that's where it comes back to, by faith, accepting God's way is best. And so whenever we realize this, we come to the place in our mind and say, I want to grow. I want to become more like Christ. I want to experience his best. I want to be in that place where I'm walking with him. I'm enjoying the benefits of being his child, that I am missing all of these uh, traps that Satan would have me to fall into. I'm missing all these heartaches that the world is uh, falling into. That's the life that I want to live. Okay, God, how does that happen? How do I go about getting to that place of growth and of maturity where I can experience your will, where I can be enjoying these benefits, where I can be uh, skipping out on some of these bad consequences that I don't want to be falling into. And so that's where we're going to be at in the, the next several weeks of learning about follow me and I will make you fishers of men, what it means to follow Jesus. So with that, does anyone have any questions or comments on what we've looked at this morning? <laughs> After all this, do you see Christian growth as being a good thing or a bad thing? Is it desirable? Is it something that we want? You want to grow up in Christ? Yeah. Yeah. So with that, let's go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. We'll take a short break.
grab some coffee and whatnot, and uh, then we'll come back, sing some Christmas songs, and uh, look at some Christmas passages, and then we'll go and have Christmas dinner. Okay. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, we thank you for uh, these passages that we look at, for these truths that we've learned. I know that much of this has just been foundational, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that those in here today who are saved will uh, will desire to grow, will desire to become more like you, will be desiring to be delivered from sin and its consequences and rest in, in your will and in the peace that you bring. Lord, I just pray that you would do a work in the lives of each person here. And Lord, I pray help us, Lord, truly to grow. Be there time and fellowship today. Thank you so much for all that you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.